Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Lake of the Ozarks message podcast. Our prayer and desire as you listen to today's message is that it would be an encouragement and challenge in your walk and relationship with Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at ccloto.org or download our app in your app store today. Now, let's jump into today's message together. Amen. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. There we go. We are in our study in 1 John talking about abiding in Christ. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John's very towards the end. If you get to Revelation, just come back a few more pages and you'll be right there. I'm going to read 14 verses starting in chapter 2, verse 1. John is writing, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So he gives us another reason in writing this letter. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father on Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, in Jesus, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is in the word that you have heard, and at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness, And whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. For whoever, but whoever, hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children, because you know the Father. And I write to you fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I write to you young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. And so John starts with this second chapter, which we know those were uh, inputted hundreds, thousands of years later. So he wasn't sitting there writing thinking, okay, now this is chapter two. Let's, let's break thought. But he starts in, and he gives us another reason for him writing this letter. First, in the beginning of chapter one, he says he wants us to have fellowship with him as they have fellowship with God and the Father and, and the Son. He goes, but I want you, another reason for this letter, to not sin. That sounds great, John, but uh, last time I checked, all have sinned, and so uh, you're just kind of wasting your time a little bit. Like, what? Like seriously, like, you're writing, like, this letter is going to keep me from sinning. Like, don't you understand? I have this old nature still in me. I have old desires and lust, and I'm still falling away at times. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it is impossible for me not to sin. We, we, we say those things, right? We look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning, and it's just like, all right, we got another shot at it. Let's try not to ruin the day. 
And then by breakfast, <laughs> I need grace. I need forgiveness. Why? Because I have four kids. <laughs> and it doesn't take long until I'm sinning. No. So what is John talking about? How, what, do you, what do you mean? Is it, is it really possible for us not to sin? Well, first, before we answer that, he says, but if anyone does sin, understand that you have an advocate with the Father. Like, yes, sin is a real issue. But understand that we have an advocate with the Father. And in the original language, that word advocate is the same word that we use uh, of the helper, the comforter. Or when we talk about the Holy Spirit, he's a paraclete. That's the same word. That we have this helper. We have a comfort in Christ. He is our advocate. So he is the one that is going before us, pleading our case to the Father. And what's so beautiful about that is it has nothing to do with what we have done. He doesn't, Jesus isn't looking at the Father and be like, oh, come on, it's buff Chris. He's, he's smart. He's good looking. <laughs> not really. You know, he's not pleading the case by anything that Chris is about. Sorry, I had to pick on you this morning. He's pleading the case about who Jesus is. It's because of our faith in Jesus that God looks at us as righteous. Why? Not because of our own righteousness. No, because of the righteousness of Christ. It, like, that's the title there, Jesus Christ the righteous. It has nothing to do with our own ability not to sin or to keep righteousness. It has our ability, our surrender of faith in Jesus. So this advocate is pleading to the Father and saying, they've put their faith and their trust in me. They've allowed my blood to be applied to them. Think clear back to the Exodus with that Passover lamb, that when the blood was applied, not just because you killed a lamb, but when that blood was applied to the doorpost, that's what caused the angel of death to pass over. And so we have this advocate saying, my blood's applied to them. And so God looks at us, understand the identity of us as believer, as believers. When Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. He doesn't see our past sins, even though that's my, how we see ourselves. Like we, we know what we've done. Why would anybody love me? Why would anybody want to be my friend? Why would they, why would God love me? I know what I've done. God doesn't see that as believers, as followers of Jesus. He doesn't even see the present sin that we keep struggling with. He doesn't even hold against us what he knows what we will commit. Oh, I know you, Chris. I know what you'll do. Yeah, you think you're righteous. Just wait. Give it some time. You'll fall. Like, understand the love of a father, the advocate that we have in Jesus, that he doesn't see those things. We have an advocate. And that fancy, big theological word there in verse 2, he, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, meaning that God's wrath wants to be poured out on the sin of the world. And so how does God pour out his wrath on sin and not destroy us at the same time? Jesus suffered the wrath of God. That the wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus. And so when we talk about salvation, sometimes we don't get to the fullness of it. You know, we talk about salvation, oh, we're saved from our sin, we're saved from the old life, we're saved from, you know what we're truly, like the number one thing we're saved from? God. We are saved from God and we're saved to God. We are saved from the wrath of God and we're saved to the grace of God, the love of God. Because God is a just God. He cannot let sin just go on. 
He's not going to just blink his eye and sin and be like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll let you go this time. No, God is just. Sin has to be punished. And so how does God punish and destroy sin and pour out his wrath on it, but not destroy us at the same time? The advocate that we have in Jesus because his sin, our sin was put on Christ, the wrath of God poured out on Jesus, and then the righteousness of Christ is put on us. Like that is the love of the Father that we have. And so knowing that, that's what John is saying, so that you may not sin. Understand the advocate, understand the propitiation that we have in Jesus, and this should be a motivator for us not to sin. Like, because of our faith in Jesus, our relationship with sin should change. You know, before, as an unbeliever not walking with the Lord, we would think about sin and, and like it. We would plan ways to sin and, oh, just wait until I get off work and, or when she gets off work or this is what I'm going to do and this and that. And we would just relish in our sin and we loved it. But now as believers, the relationship has changed. It's different in how we interact with the things that once brought destruction in our life, now I'm at war with the very things that I used to love. Why? Because the love of God is greater on me. And my love for Jesus is greater than the things that I used to love in my BC before Christ days. But is it really possible for us not to sin? That's a question we'll talk about in life groups. But turn to 1 Corinthians 10.13. The verse says, no temptation... Get ready, like get ready to hold on to your front teeth, okay? No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So nobody can sit here and say, oh, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows what it's like. It's an old song, okay, we'll keep going. <clears throat> lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. You can, you can boil down every sin to that. We all are in the same boat. So no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Understand who God is. He is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That is a great promise that we have, that God will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to say no to the temptation. And that's also a huge gut punch. Why? What does that mean? We have the ability to say no to any temptation that comes our way. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when John is writing and saying, I, I write these things so that you may not sin, understand the grace of God, that he has given you a way of escape, a way out from the temptation that wants to come in, cause you to sin, and sin brings, what's James tell us? Death, separation. There is a way of escape from this, which means every time we have sinned, there was another way that we can never look at God and say, the temptation was too great, Lord. And there was no power in my ability to be able to say no. No, it's not at all true. And so we have the ability to walk away from our sin. See, it's not a matter of want, because obviously in church on a Sunday morning, we have to say that. I don't want to sin, even though some of us probably are already planning the sin. We got plans for it. But as good, good little Christians, we can't say we want to sin, but it's not a matter of want, it's a matter of will. Will I do this or will I not do this? 
It's not about what I want anymore. If I, if I just follow what I want, just follow my heart, I'm going to go straight to hell with it. Because that's what my heart is. It's deceitful. It's wicked. And if I just follow the wants of my heart, that's exactly what I'm going to go for. But I'm going to put guardrails in my life, and I will will my life to follow Jesus. Meaning there's going to be times I don't want to do this. Like waking up early in the morning and go running in the cold. I don't want to do that. But also, I don't want to die at 38 because I eat too much McDonald's. And so something's got to give here. And so we will this in our life. And a lot of times, we don't have that strong will to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Even when it's difficult, even when it hurts, even when it's something I don't want to do, I know that what he has for my life is better. And so have this strong will of God for your life. Not just the wants, but the will of it, because it's a matter of choice. And we know the line that we make our choices and our choices make us. A lot of times we look at our past sin and our brokenness and we think, oh, I was just in a bad spot. No, you weren't. That's what you wanted to do. That's what you wanted to do. I was just in a low spot and I was just trying to look for love in all the wrong places. No, you were horny. That's what it was. You were just trying to numb your heart from whatever brokenness that you had going on. Those are the choices that you made, and now your choices are making you, and they are changing who you are. And here's the beautiful part, though. No matter how much destruction and brokenness that we've brought into our life, God, through Christ, still has his hand extended out to us to say, still love you. Still have a better plan for your life than what you've been doing. That nobody's too far gone past grace. That at any day could be the day of salvation for you you could walk with me. But the reason many of us feel like we can't say no to temptation, to anger, to selfishness, to lust, the reason so many of us feel like we can't say no to sin is that God does not have that kind of weight in our heart. The reason we can't say no to temptation isn't because we're looking at how great our sin is, it's because of how little of effect God has in our life. God just doesn't have that kind of weight in our life. And so in Christ, our relationship with sin changes. Look at verse three. He says, and we know this, that we have come to know him. And so here's that relational aspect of that verse. We have come to know him. And so God takes the throne of our hearts. I dethrone myself. Christ sits on the throne of my heart. And so how does my relation to to sin change? I keep his commandments. It's not about what I want anymore. It's not my life. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price, the blood of Jesus. And so I'm going to follow his commandments. And sometimes they're going to make sense. I'm like, well, of course I don't want to do that anymore. Other times, I really don't want to do that, Lord. Or, Lord, I really want to do this and not that. And he just whispers at me, that's cute. Pats me on the head. I bought you with a price. It's not about what you want anymore. Trust me that this is God telling us, trust him that he has the best interest of our lives at heart. I mean, how many of us have made wrong decisions that I really wish I wouldn't have done that? Absolutely. My life is full of it. We call it a testimony. But God always has our best interest at heart. That he's never going to be able to look at us or us look at him and be like, hey, you really dropped the ball on that one there, God. Thought you had to, I thought you were going to come through on that. No, 
His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. What he wants to do in our life is not what we want to do in our life. But we've come to know him, so we're going to keep his commandments. We have to understand that God's authority in our life, word of God, has to be greater than our own desires. God's authority is greater than our desires. So his word, his commands, his desires should have a weight in our lives. And so the problem is, is too many of us are running around with two pound Christianity. I heard one reel recently I love. He was talking about the uh, armor of God. And he said, too many Christians are running around streaking because all they have is the helmet of salvation and nothing else on. And I thought, that is good. Oh, I'm saved. I got the helmet of salvation. And we're just streaking around the world wondering what the heck's going wrong. Well, there's a few more items that you need of that armor of God. We're running around with two pound Christianity. I wanted to go buy a little dumbbells, but didn't have the time. Well, two pounds for some of us, that's a lot of weight. Okay, let's just be honest. That's a lot of weight for some of us. But two pounds isn't going to do a whole lot. And we're wondering why we're not getting stronger. We're not gaining an endurance. We're not getting any stronger in our faith because God is not having that much kind of weight in our lives. This little two pound dumbbell, you throw that in your pocket and you go on with your normal day. That doesn't change your everyday life that much. But if I walked up here with like a 35 pound kettlebell, <laughs> I'm going to be out of breath just by the time I get to the top of the stairs and there's only three of them. Like my arm's going to get pretty sore. You're going to see me having to change back and forth. Like this is going to add some weight. This is going to change who I am. And that's what his word, his commands, his desires, God's desires for our lives should have that kind of weight in our life that it changes us. It's going to strengthen us. It's going to give us endurance. There should be something that we feel in that, just like weight. Sometimes it's going to be exhausting. This is so hard, Lord. Why do I still have to live this way? Because I love you. And I got a greater plan for your life than you even have for yourself. And so we have to understand this weight of Christianity is good. But a lot of us are running around with two pound Christianity. We need to get our weight up. Just like working out, like you start with lower weights, good. You're going to pull something if not. And then as you get a little bit more stronger, a little more endurance, what do you do? You get bigger weights. Now you don't go from two pounds to 50 pounds. We've seen those guys at the gym. You just want to laugh at them. They're struggling and their shoulder pops out and their elbow breaks and all that. Why? They went too fast too soon. You start at some two pounds weight, then you pick up some five pounders. If you're at five, maybe grab some tens. If you're at some tens, they're, they're built in multiples of five. Take a guess. It's the same thing in our faith. You know, like, oh, we get saved. All right, I'm going to read the whole New Testament in one night. Good. And you're not going to be able to understand or and implement any of it in your life. It's spiritual bulimia. We just intake all this and you just try to throw it up everywhere and it provides no value to you. It's not how you feed a kid. It's not how you feed a baby. You do small meals frequently. They eat every two hours. I never grew out of that. <laughs> but we need to get our weight up. When God does not have that much weight in our hearts, we'll see very little change in our lives. 
when God does not have that much weight in our hearts, we will see very little change in our lives. We have to get our weight up. And as we do, you're going to start seeing some changes. You're going to look in the mirror and be like, dang, I might almost have abs. That's almost a shadow of a muscle. Like this is getting pretty cool. I can walk up three stairs without (laughs) dying. I love this. See, we have the weight of the world on our shoulders, but we don't have the weight of Christ in our hearts. What weight do you want to carry? See, Jesus says, come to me, cast all your burdens upon me. Like lay down the weight of the world at the feet of Jesus. And he says, but take my yoke upon you. Take this weight. He says, it's easy. It's light. Meaning Jesus is gentle. He says, I'm going to give you rest. The weight of the world is wearing you out. But the weight of Christ in our life, yeah, that brings rest into our life. Anybody need any rest? It's already, what, January 8th? Like, feels like May 2nd. <laughs> it's not that our desire for sin is too large. It's because our desire for God at times is too small. And see, here's the issue. In an attempt to try to be good little Christians, we focus on the wrong things. Oh, I don't want to sin. I don't want to do this. I wanna, this is going to be the last time I've ever done that. Anybody ever have that conversation with yourself? thinking that you're talking to the Lord. This is the last time I'll ever do this, Lord. I'll never do it again. (laughs) Give it two days and you're right back at it. What's the issue? Where's our focus? Our sin. So we keep looking at our sin. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Well, quit looking at it. That's where our focus has. But John tells us where our focus needs to be. Verse five, keep his word. But whoever keeps his word, that's where our focus needs to be. Then the love of God is going to be perfected in us. And that word perfected, not being perfect, none of us are perfect, right? So elbow your spouse and be like, you're not perfect. Pastor said I could say it. You're not perfect. What he's talking about is the love of God is being matured, is being strengthened in your life. So as we keep his word, it's we are working out. We are getting our weight up. We are strengthening our faith. Our faith is like muscles. We have to use it and it's going to get stronger. And just like muscles, if you don't use them, atrophy. You have no muscle. And so we have to understand that we need to keep his word. That's where our focus needs to be. And so instead of looking at our sin, we repent, we turn from our sin, and we look to Jesus. We look to his word. That's where our focus needs to be. The more that I am in this, the less that I'm dabbling in my sin. The very first Bible, as a, like an adult that really like was going to take his faith serious, somebody bought me a Bible, gifted it to me, and they wrote in on the inside. It's upstairs in my office. Sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. And we have all those little cliche little things, you know, a dusty Bible leads to a dirty life. And they sound cute and great, and you can write them down, and you remember them, but they're true. And I've seen it in my own life. You know, even my wife sees it a little bit. You know, I get a little, little uh, lack of patience, a little snippy, a little critical. And she's like, you need some quiet time. You need some time just to get away with you and the Lord. What she's saying is like, Lord needs to do a work in your heart, buddy. <laughs> like, Mama ain't having it. You better go get saved real quick because it's about, you're about to see him. You're about to go see Jesus and you better get right with him if you keep this up. But it's true that the times that I'm not in the word and I'm not fellowshipping with the Lord, I slowly start to revert back to my old ways, my old desires, my old lust, my old self. 
but focus on Jesus. Verse six, abide in him. Walk in the same way in which he walked. Get your way up. John 5, 15, 5. So this is John writing in the gospel. He's quoting Jesus. And Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And whoever abides in me and I in him, abide. That same kind of root word of an abode. Wherever Christ finds his home in us and we find our home in Christ, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so how do we keep his word and keep his commandments? Abide in Christ. Keep your focus on him. Walk in the same way in which he walked. So it's not about life change first. It's about heart change. And the overflow of our heart change will change how we act and how we talk and how we speak and the things that we do and the things that we don't do. A lot of times in modern Christianity is we need to get our lives cleaned up and then we'll work on the heart change. No. God looks at the heart. It's a change from the inside out means that we as the church have to be okay when the only change that's really going on is heart change. Yes, we only judge each other by our fruits, but the Lord looks at the heart. That means these Christians that are new to their faith, which we'll talk about at the end of the sermon, we got to give them time to process and to change. It's okay. We, we need them to abide in Christ, not to keep our Christian morality. Understand that God's okay with the process. And if he's okay with it, we need to be okay with it. I mean, like, think, think of processes and how long God is okay with, with time. Sarah waited 25 years, I believe, for Isaac. Moses waited 40 years to release e uh, Israel out of Egypt. David waited 15 years to be crowned king. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. Like, God's okay with waiting. God's okay understanding that this is going to be a process, but he's doing a work. And so we just need to abide in Christ, and then we walk in the manner in which we walked, which asks the question, well, how did he walk? John answers that for us in verses 7 to 11. Jesus walked in love. He tells us that this is an old commandment, but also a new commandment. Like, okay, you're contradicting yourself. What are you talking about? But that word new means fresh. So this is an old commandment. This is something we can go back to the Old Testament and find, and he's just kindling it afresh, just bringing it back up to our mind. You know, in Mark 12, 29, one of the uh, lawyers comes to Jesus and says, all right, out of all the commandments, like 619 some commandments in the Old Testament, what's the greatest? That's simple, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And I love that in Mark because the teacher literally, uh, the lawyer looks back at Jesus and says, oh, you're right. <laughs> of course he's right. He's Jesus, you know, son of God. I'm like, oh, good job, Jesus. You got that answer right. The audacity. But John is telling us it's the same thing. That's, that's, Jesus was quoting from the Old Testament. Jesus kept teaching that it is love, that God is love. This is the core virtue of Christianity. And here John, he's like, hey, this is that fresh commandment, that same thing that you've known. This is what it's always been about. And so to walk in the light of Christ, because there he's using that light in the darkness. If you hate your brother in your darkness, but if you love your brother, you're walking in light. So if you're walking in the light of Christ is to walk in the love of Christ. We can't separate the two. So to look at your own life, if your life doesn't have much love in it, it doesn't have much 
Christ in it. You can't have Jesus and still walk in darkness. You can't have Jesus and still hate your brother. They have to go together. And so if you're struggling with somebody, it's like, how do I love this person? They're very unlovable. Abide in Christ. Allow him to lead you, that we're going to walk in the same manner in which he walked. Did he love people that didn't love him? Absolutely. He died on a cross for them. And so what we'll read even later in a few weeks, 1 John 4, 19, how do we love like this? John tells us we love because he first loved us. So how do we love those unlovable in our life? Well, we have to understand how Jesus loves us. We won't become the loving people until we see how much we've been loved. We'll always revert back to our old self unless we surrender to the new life in Jesus. That we walk in his love for us. That's how it's always going to start. His love for us always starts there. We'll never walk up to Jesus and be like, oh, I love you. And he's like, oh, do you? Okay, I'll start loving you then. No, no, no. We walk in God's love for us. And we continue to walk in our love for him. It's always a responsive love that we have to Jesus. And that is how we walk in love to other people. And it should, as Christians, that should be a part of our testimony to the lost, broken world. They will look at us and say, why do you love those people? (laughs) To which I always want to say, like, why do you say those people? Because you're one of those people. But they'll look at us and be like, you love some different, unique people. Like, like the people that I wouldn't normally think Christians would want to hang around and love and, and pour into. Like, you... You're doing that. How is that? Well, that's what Jesus did. If he ate and were friends with sinners and tax collectors, well, who's the sinners and the tax collectors of our day? Let's hang out. So understand, if I call you to go get coffee, (laughs) so we walk in the love of Christ, the love that he first had for us. Paul would say, even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the expression of God's love, even in our sin, meaning we bring nothing to the table of friendship, right? Like I have, I have earthly friends and we are only friends because we had commonalities, right? I have one really good friend. Our whole friendship started because he had a guitar in his closet that had like two strings on it and I wanted to learn how to play guitar. Two strings, wasn't tuned, had no idea what we were doing. Still don't have a few more strings and that's about it. That's our whole friendship started on that. Oh, you have a guitar? Okay, let's be friends then. I mean, obviously we found some more commonalities, but we don't have that with Jesus. He doesn't look at us and say, okay, what can you bring to the table? Okay, we'll be friends. No, he loved us. Even why we hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. So our love for Jesus, our love for other people is always response to the love that God has for us. And then John ends this little section with this very poetic kind of writing. I'm writing to you little children, fathers, young men. He says children again. And he uses two different words for little children. The very first one in verse 12, little children. The Greek word here is technion, meaning deeply loved. I think he's talking to all believers. He says, I'm writing to you, everyone because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So every believer, he wants us to know that. And then he breaks us down into three categories. Don't get too caught up on the gender, okay? So fathers, young men, children, I'm not just talking to the guys, 
but to all of us, because that's how he started it, right? So all of us are broke down into these three categories. First, he looks at fathers. And then he says young men. And then he has a different word for children. In the Greek, it's a pation, meaning under instruction, right? So fathers. So we're all little children. We're all God's children. There's no grandchildren, right? You're not saved because your grandparents are saved or you grew up in the church. No, you're saved by Christ. God has no grandchildren. We're all children of God. But he says the first one's fathers. See, these are the mature in Christ. Those that have been walking with the Lord for a while. And not just years, but they've seen the Lord work and move, that their roots are deeply sunk into who Christ is. They can't be moved, they can't be shaken. They're the ones that if I say, hey, Thursday morning I'm gonna do a 6 a.m. prayer meeting, it's the fathers that are gonna show up. Why? Because they've seen the power of prayer. That when the church is, 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 we need to put together a new team or serving, it's the fathers, the older, and I'm sorry, seasoned, however you want me to use the word, that's who's gonna show up because they understand the importance. What's that farmer's commercial? Like they know a thing or two because they've seen a thing or two. They've seen the Lord work. And we have some amazing spiritual fathers in this room. And we are a better church because of it. And then there's young men. These are like a soldier in a fight. You don't send your children to battle. You don't send old men to battle. You send young men to war. And so there's a lot of young people in our church. We had some friends visit uh, a few months ago. And anytime I have friends come down, they're like, nobody knows. I always tell them, don't, don't let anybody know that you know me. Because you might get spe- special little treatment because you're friends with the pastor. I said, I just want to see what it's like for a new person to walk into our church. And, and afterwards, we always talk. And so tell me what you see. Tell me what you hear and how, what was it like. And one of the things that they said is, you have a very eclectic group in your church in the sense of generational. Like you're a church of Abrahams, Isaacs, and Jacobs. And they go to a massive church up in Kansas City. We don't have that many older people in our congregation. And they said in the sense of they know that they're missing out because of it. But they also said, but you have a lot of men, which I thought was good. And you have a lot of young people in your church. And that's good. They're going to be your soldiers. They hear the problem with young men. Let me poke the bear a little bit. Think of what Paul wrote. He said, when I was a child, I acted like a child. I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. It makes sense. I used to tell my adult leaders in student ministries, don't be upset if a teenager acts like a teenager. That's all they know. They're being really sarcastic. Yeah, they're 15. (laughs) They're going to be. They're being really rude. They're going to be. It's okay. But he said, when I grew up, I put away childish things. There's a lot of young people that are still acting like children. There's a lot of young men and women that it's time to get in the battle, but we still want to be children and we don't want to grow up. We still think we're the center of the universe and we get upset when something doesn't go our way or when God doesn't come through how we think he should, when he breaks promises that he never said he would make. I'm just going to tell you, it's time to grow up. And I'm not saying that's an age thing. I know 40-year-old little boys 
that can't put down a gaming system and be a man and provide for their family. And I know 16, 17, 18-year-old men. When he breaks us into three groups, fathers, young men, and children, it's not an age. It's a spiritual maturity. And it's okay. If you're a teenager in your walk with the Lord, I'm not afraid of a teenager being a teenager. It's when there should be a young man and we're still acting like a child. Paul got a lot of frustration out with that. What's he tell the church in Corinth? Like, I wanted, it, I wanted to go deep with you, but I still have to bottle feed you. And there's nothing more awkward, you know, than like a 15-year-old at the mall being bottle fed and they're not cutting their own meat, right? Like, oh, here we go, a little bottle feed them. Like, they, they have whiskers. Like, <laughs> he's grown a goatee. Quit bottle feeding him. It's time to grow up in that. Why? Because we're in a real battle. And there's, and, and with churches like us, we're one of those, so we have Abraham, Isaacs, and Jacobs. You know, the strategy of the church, how we are doing ministry might not match your preference. If you're a father or if you're a young man, and that's okay, right? The strategy might not match your preference, but don't lose sight of the mission of the church. We fought Vietnam as an army differently than how we fought in Ramadi. Why? One was jungle warfare and one was urban. The same tactics aren't going to work. And a lot of times we get in fights with our spiritual fathers or our spiritual kids and we say things like, oh, well, in my day and, and this is how we do it now. Nobody's right and wrong. The mission has always been the same. Love the Lord. Love your neighbor. Go and make disciples. Sir, it's always been the same. Now, how we do that is going to be different. And then he addresses children. Talking about these are those that are still under instruction, meaning these are the first stages of spiritual growth. And it's great. If you're new to faith, rock on. My only encouragement and warning to you is stay in step in obedience to the transformation that Christ wants to do in your heart not the pressure from the church to live by a certain morality. And there's a difference. And I think that's where that mentality is, oh, I need to get my life together, then I'll come to church. No, come broken, come in pieces, come deep in your sin. But show up. Because it doesn't matter if we're a spiritual father, it doesn't matter if we're a young man in the battle, or if we're a child and we're just new to faith. God wants to do a work in us. Just because you're a spiritual father doesn't mean that God's done with you. God wants to do a work in you. Keep showing up for it. And we, as the church, need to understand we're not the Holy Spirit. And the work that God wants to do in any one of those categories of people is going to be different than what we think should be done. So sometimes the younger generation wants to look at the older and, oh, I just wish they would, da da da. Shut up. You're not the Holy Spirit. And, and the vice versa. Some of us that have been walking with the Lord for a while see someone new in the faith. Well, I just wish they would shut up. You're not the Holy Spirit. And we need to be okay with people being in process because you know what? God was perfectly fine with it. And if he's okay with it, I think the church should maybe follow in suits. And so Jew, Jesus is doing a work. Just keep showing up for it. It's going to be good. We all need Paul's in our life. 
We all need Barnabases in our life. Paul's that we look up to, Barnabases that are about in the same stage, we're encouragement to one another. And then we all need a Timothy. Who are we pouring into? Where are we serving? How am I helping the mission of the church? And so I encourage you, wherever you're at, we're one family. We're in. This is it. This is God's plan. There is no plan B. And so we need the Abrahams, we need the Isaacs, and we need the Jacobs. I think we even got some Josephs. And it's a beautiful thing. And there's churches that wish that they had the same. And so look around. If you're, a, if you're a Timothy, go find yourself a Paul. If you're a Paul, go find yourself a Timothy. If you need some encouragement, find yourself a Barnabas. Or find somebody that needs a Barnabas in their life. Don't wait on the church to do this fancy set ministry. Understand the word. Go and encourage one another. Disciple one another. Walk with each other as we pursue Christ with our life. That's what it means to walk in the love of Jesus. So let's pray. Father... We love you, we trust you, and we just thank you. Thank you for an opportunity to dig deep into your word. And I pray, Lord, that when you see us, that you would find a body of believers striving against their sins, striving to walk in obedience with you. Lord, we are so thankful that we have an advocate in you, Jesus. And I pray that you keep interceding on our behalf and our failures and keep encouraging, leading us in victory. And Lord, we know that there's spiritual fathers, there's young men, there's children here. And Lord, we thank you for it, that you are still working in and through us. And I pray that we have never become numb to it. And so give us that kind of faith to trust your plan, your design for our lives individually, to trust your design and plan for us as a church holistically. And I pray that we would step in response to your love and your faithfulness with the very same things, that we would love you and we would remain faithful to the calling that you have on our lives and that we would be that very representation of your love to this world around us, that we would walk in the light of Christ, which is your love. Give us that kind of faith. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen.